I'm Emily Rowney. And I'm Alicia Holland. This is Bill Camp, the voice of Forensic Files 2 on HLN, and you're listening to Murder in the Rain. Perhaps it's the distance of a shooting that keeps our interest at a distance. We tell ourselves we will never be in that situation. We aren't thugs or gangsters. But it's victim blaming like that which allows these murders to continue without the same concern and outrage we have towards a serial killer that's stalking and killing someone. Today, I'll be talking about the record amount of shootings in the Portland area, share stories of some of the unsolved shooting deaths, and try to understand what is causing the record violence. Before we get into today's story, I have one ask of you, our dear listeners. Please just hear us out. I'm going to be discussing the record amount of shootings and homicides in Portland this year and sharing stories of unsolved cases and statistics. And we'll be talking with Penny Okamoto of Ceasefire Oregon to learn about what we, the everyday person, can do to help. This is not to get political. This is not to take sides. This is not to say we want to come for your guns. I'm simply looking at the numbers, seeing a problem, and wanting to better understand. So please hear us out before deciding we are stinky hippies that hate America. Only Emily is stinky. Very funny. I smell delightful. <laughs> is that love spell? <laughs> In 2003, yes, yes it was. Yes, it was. <laughs> When we think murder and true crime stories, they tend to be very similar in subject and even story at times. Young white woman meets or dates or is followed by a mysterious man who then stabs or strangles or shoots her before hiding the body in blank. It's part of what draws us to true crime, someone like us facing what might be our biggest fears, things we're trained to look out for. It's kind of like a survival guide for being a woman. And let's be honest, there's sometimes a thrill to the fear. Hearing about something so outside our own life experience, yet so possible, it's kind of a strange addiction. But differences in those case variables can easily change the interest level. A simple observation of the Gabby Petito case compared to Daniel Robinson, who both went missing under strange circumstances, one getting nonstop coverage for weeks, one whose family is desperate for information to get out there. And you can see there are disparities when it comes to the sex and race of the victim. By the way, Daniel Robinson is the 24-year-old geologist whose car was found crashed in the Arizona desert earlier this year, and he's not been seen since. Another difference can be the cause of death. There is something so intimate and terrifying about someone being strangled, yet a shooting, besides being something us Americans have become numb to, can be so distant, cold, and common. It's almost like the killer isn't even part of the equation. Someone was just walking down the street, then boom, they were gone. No one was seen or heard, just a bullet taking a life. Portland has been through a lot the last few years. According to reports from people that haven't actually been downtown, it has been turned into a Mad Max-inspired hellscape. Barely any buildings or businesses are left, which is very much not the case. As someone that was downtown during the protests, I can tell you it's only a couple of square blocks that were really involved— Yes, we have a graffiti problem along the highways, but that's because our mayor is kind of throwing a tantrum about protesters and police budget cut requests, so they aren't maintaining that. What is really happening in Portland is an epidemic. No, not that one. A shooting epidemic. Portland is on course to shatter its own record of shootings and shooting-related injuries and deaths in one year. If you take a look at CrimestoppersofOregon.com and scroll through the unsolved deaths, you'll see two commonalities— Most listings are shootings, and most are young black men. That's why today I'll be speaking with Penny Akimoto to discuss the gun violence in Portland, how we got here, and what we can do to help. To give you an idea of how bad things have become, just a few weekends ago, police responded to 13 shootings just in Portland. At the time of writing in mid-October, there have been 69 shooting-related deaths in 2021 alone. The previous record was 66 deaths in 1987. But it's not just the homicides that have people scared. There have been over a thousand shootings leading to deaths and over 315 injuries. Of all of Portland's homicide, gun violence has been responsible for three-fourths. It's no surprise Portland's violence has risen so drastically, and we aren't alone. Across America, homicides increased by almost 30 percent from 2019 to 2020. But for Portland, our rate has increased by 83 percent doubling the homicides of our northern neighbor, Seattle. 
There are many factors to blame, some exclusive to Portland, some national pains. First, expansion. With 100,000 people moving to the area in the last 10 years, you're bound to end up with a mixed pot of situations. Some people are coming here for tech jobs, while someone might come for the nature. Someone might like the solitude and pockets of Republicans, while others might be seeking the freedom that the liberalness our city provides. The boom also led to a housing crisis. Before the pandemic hit, there were around 4,000 houseless folks in Portland. That number has hovered around 5,000 the last few years and even dropped a little right before quarantine. The numbers have not been released post-pandemic, but we can only assume between job loss, mental health, and the housing crisis, that number has only gone up. Having people on the street doesn't equal gun violence, but it's all part of the equation as to what makes the city tick, sometimes like a bomb. Another component is political unrest. Going back to when colonizers were fed up with their king and hopped on boats to come to a new world, things get ugly when there's a lack of agreement. The Revolutionary War, the Civil War, and everything basically from 2016 until now are all times that the political unrest led to a rise in violence. With perceptions of the other side from both sides being extreme, there's a fear towards others and a sensed lack of security. Last summer, when Portland was the hotspot for the Black Lives Matter movement and anti-police brutality movement, over 200 officers quit the force. Understandably, they were tired and felt unsupported. But that drop in officers, while being what a lot of people were and are hoping for, which can be seen as a step in the right direction, it was done without a backup plan in place. It's not like the officers quit because they were going to a new de-escalation department in the force. Portland did used to have a gun-specific task force, but to the surprise of zero people, when the statistics from that force were looked at, it was clear they were disproportionately targeting people of color, so it was disbanded. Again, without a plan in place that everyone could agree on. There have been some steps made to help curb the violence. In areas with high numbers of drive-by shootings, barrels have been put in place. What do the barrels do? So my understanding is that uh, with those areas, they've put it kind of out into the street so that the accessibility for cars to pull oh, okay. up like and then take off. Narrows the space that yes. they're maneuvering yeah. in. Oh, that's a really well, good way to put it. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Under Mayor Wheeler, traffic stops have been ceased so officers can focus on helping to close cases and stop shootings. That's not all traffic stops, just if you're a little over the speed limit or your tags are expired. Basically, I've been living in a utopian driving dream. <laughs> Halting the stops wasn't just because of the lack of officers or increasing of shootings. Data showed once again stops were unfairly affecting people of color. Obviously, there are more issues going on and many more reasons gun violence has risen. For that, let's go to Penny Akimoto with Ceasefire Oregon. Yes, she's anti-gun, but again, I just beg you to listen and let's talk. Feel free to email us and we'll have conversations. There is a crisis and we want to know what we can do about it. Uh, my name is Penny Okamoto. I'm the executive director of Ceasefire Oregon Education Foundation. And then I also work with a national group called Survivors Empowered and GVpedia. And I've been working on gun violence prevention um, in the state of Oregon and nationally for 21 years now. So what does Ceasefire do? So Ceasefire Oregon actually has three organizations. One is um, education. So that's the Ceasefire Oregon Education Foundation. And we work to make sure that people understand um, gun laws understand um, that probably the biggest thing in Oregon to understand is that more than 80% of all gun death in Oregon is suicide. Uh, the national average is more like 60 to 65%. So in Oregon, it's more than 80%. So it's very high. That's one of the most important statistics. So um, we also hand out gun locks and um, we even host gun turn-ins. So uh, really kind of like everything to do with education, statistics, data, all that kind of information. Ceasefire Oregon actually is a legislative branch and it deals with trying to um, make sure that good, solid, effective legislation gets passed that will reduce gun violence. And then we have a Ceasefire Oregon Action Fund and that's our political action committee. So speaking of statistics, I've been seeing the numbers as I think everyone, not only in Portland, but nationwide of gun violence this year. And I know a lot of us can kind of step back and go, oh, it's the pandemic. Everyone's cooped up. Everyone's angry. But these are record-breaking numbers, which has to be more than the pandemic. 
where do you guys see this is coming from? You know, just two weekends ago here in Portland, we had 13 shootings in one weekend. What is the cause of that? The cause of violence is multivariant. I mean, there are just so many things that go into why people um, turn to violence. Uh, we know that in times of strife, whether it's going to be a pandemic, whether it's going to be uh, financial problems, um, whether it's going to be political upheaval, uh, people are always going to, um, you know, turn turn more to violence, um, just just for a, a variety of reasons. But one of the things that Ceasefire Oregon is is concerned with is access to firearms. Because when you take a look at the United States, you take a look at the um, uh, the OECD countries, basically, the um, uh, Organization for Economic and Cultural Development countries. So it's going to be similar countries, basically. The United States ranks very badly in terms of assault deaths. So assault death is anytime someone is killed by assault, whether that's going to be uh, a gunshot, a knife, beating to death, all those horrific things. And the um, United States uh, is far and far and above um, other um, countries like our own country um, because because of firearms. So similar countries, so similar in terms of economic level, you know, um, is there war in our country right now? Things like that. Not is our country at war, but is there war within the country? So you take a look at similar countries, again, pretty much the OECD countries, Germany, France, England, Japan. Um, you're going to find that United States has um, higher salt deaths, but you will also find that the people who are shot to death, for example, 91% of the women in these countries who are shot to death are in the United States. About 90% of kids who are shot to death in these OECD countries or in the United States. It's access to guns because guns are incredibly lethal. So it's access to guns, easy access to guns, you know, um, illegal access to guns, access to illegal guns, that all plays into shooting and killing each other. Breaking that down to just Portland, since we've seen such a huge rise, is there something that has changed with us specifically that has caused this rise? I know that the gun, and I'm sorry if I'm saying this wrong, the um, gun violence task force uh, with the Portland police, I know that was dismantled. Part of this, for me at least, and I don't know if I'm being negative uh, looking at it, feels like our police stepping back to kind of prove their value is having that task force removed, is that part of it for Portland? Or what is it with Portland specifically that we're suddenly seeing this huge influx in guns? That's a really great question. Um, I think there are, there. I'd like to break, break this off in really um, into, into two things. So um, you talked about police. Let, let's talk a little bit about police. Um, now, this isn't so much within Multnomah County, um, but uh, we have this in other counties, including... Yamhill County, Clackamas County, Columbia County, Harney County, and counties you know, in Southern and um, Eastern Oregon uh, have basically illegally nullified uh, gun laws. So these counties and some cities have stepped up and said, our sheriff and people who work in the county are no longer allowed to use county funds or county resources to enforce gun laws. So what does that mean? Well, they haven't really spelled it out other than that. I know like Coos County, for example, has said, and several other counties have said that they have empowered or they, they like to think they've empowered their sheriff um, with the ability to interpret the Oregon Constitution and the United States Constitution as if that sheriff were a Supreme Court justice. Now, of course, that is against the Oregon preemption law, ORS 166.170, and it also uh, violates the Supremacy Clause of the United States Constitution. So this whole message that's being sent by the sheriffs in particular, and sheriffs because sheriffs are elected, and by the way, this is not Sheriff Reese doing this at all, um, is that they don't take gun laws seriously, and they want to make sure that people who kind of buy into the whole huge lie that guns make us safer are getting, you know, they're, they're going to be supporting the sheriff and getting elected. So really it's sheriffs getting elected. That's why you see more sheriffs doing it rather than police departments, because police departments are elected. Now, again, I want to really, you know, emphasize that this is not Sheriff Reese in Portland or Multnomah County. Okay. 
So you do have um, sheriffs right outside of Portland saying we don't we're not going to take this seriously. And for people that are outside of Oregon, that list that you just said, those tend to be more rural areas. Does it just feel like we've gotten to the point where literally everything is political? So that's kind of a political move. Yeah. I mean, you can take a look at Timber Unity and how Timber Unity has connected with the pro shooting groups. That's pretty weird, but they they absolutely have done that. Um, So that's very much a political move. Is that kind of seen as a way for the people that especially of late are very anti-government that that way a sheriff or, you know, whoever in the county can kind of be like, we hear you, we get that you don't want government, so we will step in and make that choice for you. Which is so ironic because you have someone from the government saying, we know you don't like government. It kind of reminds me when Ronald Reagan said the scariest words or something like, I'm from the government, I'm here to help and get you oh, yeah. the president. So like you do realize that's kind of like a big deal in the government, right? President. And I don't know if Ronald Reagan ever really kind of realized the irony kind of getting really to the core of that is, you know, people all, always ask me the number one reason for gun violence and it's money. It comes down to money. You know, you can even say money in politics if you want, but it comes down to money. It comes down to who is providing finances for uh, campaigns. Um, and it also comes down to money for the gun lobby and the gun industry, because uh, you know, in the United States, we have more than 400 million firearms just in civilian hands alone. OK, 400 million firearms. We're about four percent of the world's population. And that's uh, I think that's like 25 percent of the, of the, of the of all the guns in the world. So we have a huge amount of guns, uh, you know, in this in the United States. And the gun lobby is taking a look at our laws and saying, we need to sell more guns. We need to sell more guns to a gun-saturated market. What do we do? Well, we're gonna weaken concealed carry laws so people can buy smaller guns that can fit into their purses and they can have a concealed carry gun in their purse and then their kid can take it out of their purse when they're in Walmart and shoot their mom in the head, which actually happened in Idaho a few years ago. So that's why they wanna do this. They want to have these military-style assault rifles Um, So they can sell just so they can sell more. That's why they're making them legal in so many places, because they want to be able to sell more firearms to, like I said, you know, a gun saturated market. And when the gun lobby and the gun industry looks around at the world, they're not going to sell guns like this in China. They're not going to be able to sell guns like this in other places. Absolutely not. So they saw what happened to the tobacco lobby. Tobacco lobby got hit pretty hard by a lawsuit. Now, the tobacco lobby can still sell, you know, cigarettes in China and things like that. But there's no place in the world they're going to be able to legally sell guns the way they do in the United States. And they're going to do it by buying legislators, buying races, you know, or really having uh, preposterous advertising campaigns. You know, one of them is that, you know, the idea that uh, Wayne LaPierre had said after Sandy Hook, the only thing that stops a bad guy with a gun is a good guy with a gun. Look, if that were true, we have 400 million guns in the United States. We, we wouldn't have any 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 problems. We wouldn't certainly wouldn't have a thousand shootings in Portland, you know, already in, in just this year. So it's just preposterous that people think that guns make us safer. And we know that they and we know that they don't. There's a lot of data that actually shows that. I was I was surprised to see how lax our what our laws were. Yeah. I believe you're there's only a notification if you buy more than two guns in five days, something right. along those lines, and there's no limit to how many you can have. That's correct. And I was really surprised, but then I remember, you know, Portland is kind of the only, (laughs) you know, uh, non-rural area of Oregon, but again, we're being hit the hardest. Was there something either with gun laws or with accessibility that changed in the last, in the last year that allowed for so many more guns to be on the streets? Sure. So one of the things that Governor Brown did at the start of the pandemic was she refused to close gun stores. Even though experts like us were trying to convey to her that we were very concerned about domestic violence. We were also very concerned about suicide. We don't have uh, data on suicide yet. The suicide data generally lacks, uh, or excuse me, lags uh, by about a year or so. So we don't have the data on suicide just yet. I'm just hoping uh, that suicide data isn't as bad as we think it is. And again, more than 80% of all gun deaths in the state of Oregon is suicide. So she didn't close the gun stores. 
um, the gun stores remained open. We don't have laws like one gun a month, although back in 2019, we had SB 501, which is called the student's bill. It was an omnibus bill. Would have done a lot of things. Would have had permit to purchase. It would have had one gun a month. Um, it, a lot of other great things that would have really reduced um, the amount of guns that we have. Uh, and then people are also very concerned because you've got people carrying AR-15s, large guns in parks. Um, when you see somebody, you know, carrying a large gun or carrying any gun in a park, you're, you're thinking, you don't know what's happening. You don't know what intent that person has. And that's very alarming, basically. But there's nothing the police can do about it. So, you know, there have been several instances already where people just leave the parks when they see someone with firearms. So they're no longer really comfortable in their own city um, in their own parks uh, because they, they have no idea what someone carrying a gun in, into the park, what their intent is. And even if that person's intent is good, firearm accidents happen all the time. And in fact, we don't call them accidents. We actually call them unintentional shootings because if you didn't have a gun, it wouldn't have happened. In order for people like myself who are just white girls in East County to not be concerned about these things. It's just on the news and it's, um, you know, predominantly people of color and here's their mugshot that we'll use to say, oh, they were involved in a shooting so that it stays kind of distant almost like, oh, well, that couldn't be me. I don't run with that kind of circle of people. But when you look at the victims of late, it is those people in the parks. It is children at birthday parties. It is a grandmother just out on her porch do you see kind of a change in how the gun violence, what type of gun violence it is outside of the suicide and those things? Are you seeing kind of it's expanding into something more than just like, oh, a few gangbanger guys, if you will, doing that kind of thing? Are you seeing this gun violence in public or in these open areas kind of change into being different groups of people? I don't have I don't have the numbers okay. on that. Um, and uh, one of the things I tend to look at is only um, uh, gunshot deaths. And here's the reason why. Not all gun in gunshot injuries are reported. Um, and in fact, you go to the CDC, and you're not really going to get good injuries on or good numbers on gunshot injuries. So Oregon, however, is working on that and working on a new system for, for tracking data, which is going to be incredible. I'm looking forward to using that system. But one would think, considering the number of people who are shot um, and injured or fatally shot in the United States, we would have information on tracking that. But we don't. We don't even track how many people buy firearms. That we have, we have no idea. Um, as a matter of fact, the Oregon State Police has been. Uh, we're so overwhelmed um, uh, as soon as the pandemic was declared uh, that uh, they had a very hard time keeping up with their data. They used to post data all the time on their website. About how many fire, um, how many firearm requests, uh, firearm background check requests they've received, and unless they just started doing that again this morning, they haven't posted any since January 31st of this year. So, and they were skyrocketing before that. Overall trend in the United States is we think that those numbers are finally coming down. Um, but again, those numbers, the so the request for the firearm um, background check is only a, kind of gives us an idea of how many firearms are being sold because some of those requests are actually uh, made for people who are getting a concealed handgun license. Some people are buying more than one fire, firearm at a time. We just have no idea. And we don't have an idea because the gun lobby doesn't want us to know. Such pleasant information. <laughs> it's like, you know, I, I have to tell you, there have been some really great bills that have been killed here in the state of Oregon. Bills that could have made a difference. So bills to, um, to, to ban ghost guns. So ghost gun is a firearm that either doesn't have what's called a security exemplar. Security exemplar is a piece of metal that makes um, a gun detectable to metal detectors. And people might say, well, a gun's made of metal. Well, not if it's 3D printed. A ghost gun doesn't, is not detectable by um, a metal detector. And a ghost gun um, doesn't have a serial number. Now, in the United States, um, guns made domestically within the United States were, have been required to have a serial number since 1968. Firearms that are imported um, have been required, um, but more recently, to have a serial number. But people can make their firearms um, using what's called an 80% receiver or using 3D printing, uh, and they don't have to have a serial number. We need to change that. We need to ban um, the possession um, and manufacture of ghost guns. 
That would actually be done under um, IP18, which is an initiative petition um, that's being worked on by Lift Every Voice Oregon. So they're doing that right now. That would be on the November 22 ballot. But um, but that only deals with, uh, doesn't deal with non-serialized. But so the attorney general actually put out two bills. In 2019, she had um, a bill, it ended up being added to um, Senate Bill 978, okay, which was an omnibus bill. Would have been a great bill. Would have done a lot to stop some of the gun violence we see right now. That bill was killed by uh, Governor Brown in a failed attempt to appease runaway Republicans. Another ghost guns bill was actually um, put forth by the attorney general just this year, and that was SB 396, also killed without even a hearing. Why? Why? Oregon Democrats run the House, they run the Senate, they run the governorship. So that's a really good question. We've, we've had a lot of great opportunities. Um, we did pass the storage bill. Storage bills need to have a felony attached somewhere along the way to be really effective. So a felony meaning if someone steals your firearm and then takes that firearm because it's not secured, takes an unsecured firearm and uses it to kill someone, a felony should be attached to that. Because studies show, so studies from Johns Hopkins, from Dr. Daniel Webster, Dr. Cascrafasi, the studies show that you need, a, you need a felony attached to make sure that that bill is gonna be, or that law is gonna be effective in making sure that people keep their firearms locked up because more than a quarter of a million firearms at least are stolen every year. Legal firearm owners unwittingly arm criminals because they don't lock up their guns. They don't lock them when they're in the car. They don't lock them in the home. They, they forget they have them when they're out um, and they leave them in the bathroom. It's really bad. So I'm hoping that that storage law, which is not in effect, um, will help um, reduce some of this. And another thing too, you got to remember is that unlocked firearms are a way that minors can actually access a firearm to commit suicide. I know we're basically out of time. So I just want to give you two things to, to have you kind of wrap up on. One, what you say, I'm wondering if you've ever heard anyone upset that you're coming after their guns, what your goal really is. And also what those of us that feel like we've been kind of detached from it, what we can actually do to try to help curb the violence that's coming from this. Sure. I really appreciate that. So um, uh, one of the things that people say is that if someone, if someone doesn't use a firearm to kill himself or herself, they'll find something else. That's simply not true because firearms are more than 85% lethal and other means are in the single digits lethality, uh, with the exception of hanging. Um, so they're, they're far less lethal. As far as people saying, we're coming to get your guns. I have heard this for years and decades and decades and decades. And that hasn't happened, but what has happened are skyrocketing rates of gun deaths, skyrocketing rates of domestic violence, skyrocketing rates of people being intimidated at gunpoint. And we don't even have any data on gun on uh, um, intimidation at gunpoint, but we know it happens. It's just so difficult. There's so many other horrific things happening. We haven't even studied that yet. One of the things that people can do are just exactly what you're doing right now is making sure that people are educated about gun violence, educated about what it what guns are really doing to our country and why it all comes down to who wants to get elected and who wants to sell guns. That's really what it all comes down to. You know, there are more federally licensed firearms dealers in the state of Oregon than Starbucks. Yeah, there are. And who regulates them? Eh, the ATF, if they get around to it, maybe every seven years or so. It's completely ridiculous. So the best thing you can do is call your legislature, so legislators and demand that they take strong action on strong gun bills uh, and you can also um, look at IP17 and IP18 with Lift Every Voice Oregon. Excellent legislation uh, that will really do a lot to reduce gun violence in the state of Oregon. And you said that'll be on next November's ballot? They're, yeah, they're, they're going to be. So right now, um, IP17 and IP18 are still um, in the Supreme Court um, getting their ballot titles all hammered out. Okay. Uh, and if they get enough signatures, um, that will be on the ballot in, uh, in November of 2022. Excellent. Well, thank you so much for all your time and all of this information. Um, you know, we really, our goal with this is hope that people listen to it and take that information because you really could, like you said, because of the money, interchange it with anything. Say that they're selling a hand sandwich. It should still be regulated. And where is the money coming from and who has the interest in it? It doesn't matter what the product is. They want the money. So we need to do something about 
making the product safe. So thank you so much for your time and all of this information. And hopefully all of those things uh, do end up on the ballot and we can vote for them next year. I am so grateful to you for this time. I can't tell you this time is opportunity to educate people. Thank you so much. What you're doing um, truly could save somebody's life either by because a gun isn't stolen or someone's not committing suicide. So thank you so much. I'm very grateful. Anytime, truly. Thank you so much. Thank you. you. (laughs) Take care. Thank you. Bye-bye. You may agree with Penny, you may not, but there are some basic things I took from that conversation that number one, there's a benefit to having people argue about the Constitution and rights because gun makers make money. They love that we fight because then we get upset and those that want to buy guns buy them. Those that don't maybe give to organizations and groups that want change. It's a battle of cash and we are the pawns left to act like it's as simple as us versus them. When really it's people making money versus us chumps who are arguing about it. While statistics and information are good tools to have and numbers make Emily very happy. Mm -hmm, They sure do. There are names and faces to the shootings we casually hear about on the news. While most of these have very little information, they are still important to share. And if you have any information about any of these cases, you are asked to contact CrimestoppersOfOregon.com. You can anonymously send in tips via their website. A lot of the cases have a reward attached, so you could not only help a family find their loved one's killer, but help yourself out. One of the more recent murders on September 21, 2021, was of a 17-year-old boy in Gresham, the large city to the east of Portland. It was 7.30 p.m. when officers were called to Northeast 9th and Northeast Hood Avenue. Callers reported shots had been fired, but when officers arrived at the scene, they only found evidence there had been a shooting, but no people involved. Not long after, further west at 182nd and Division, more calls to 911. This time, it was that someone in a vehicle appeared to be injured. Now that they had found the person involved in the shooting from earlier, emergency personnel started to work on Seneca Xavier, who had been shot multiple times. While he did make it to the hospital, he died soon after arrival. It's unknown who shot at Seneca, what he was doing when the shooting happened, or pretty much anything else about his case. There is a $2,500 reward for information that leads to an arrest, but authorities understand that in addition to civil unrest, a pandemic and economic crisis, there is also a gang problem, which many of the shootings are related to. This has people concerned that they won't get answers because anyone that knows anything might be fearful for their own safety if they come forward. But this was someone's little boy, just a 17-year-old, a teenager. He didn't deserve to die, and he does deserve justice. Shooters have become so brazen, the violence hasn't been limited to direct contact with the target. These shootings aren't happening strictly in the dark of night or in back alleys. They're in the parks and, in one case, a pizza place. On May 12th of this year, Yolen Yoakum was doing what we've all been doing frequently during the pandemic, picking up dinner. It was light out when Yolen, like so many other people in the same restaurant at 118th and Sandy, was grabbing a pizza. Suddenly, a white car and a possible light gray or white car pulled up. Witnesses described something out of a movie, where the cars screeched up crisscross style before people got out of them. Running up to Yolen, the shooters fired between 12 and 14 shots before getting back in the cars and speeding off. There is still no information about the shooters leaving Yolen's family and friends wondering who killed him and why. Investigators believe Yolen was targeted. They just haven't shared for what reason. All of the photos of 20-year-old Calvin Jerome Jackson III are bittersweet. With a big, braces-filled smile and a graduation cap and robe on, most photos show him holding one of his two young children. You can't help but smile looking at someone whose pride radiates off the screen, but then you remember he's gone. His hopes and dreams of using his new degree to become a real estate developer, his joy in being a father to his children, a brother to his many siblings, a driven leader full of love and life, all gone. As Calvin sat on his front porch near North Albina and North Webster Streets on April 19, 2021, talking to his younger brother on the phone with one of his children with him, shots came flying at him. Police were called after reports of gunfire and found Calvin dead. If anyone knows anything about the shooting death of Calvin Jackson III, you are asked to call police or report to Crime Stoppers of Oregon. 
Once again, the information is nearly non-existent. Luckily, his family was able to raise over $20,000 via GoFundMe to help with funeral and childcare expenses. Seven months before Calvin's death, another third whose gleaming smile leapt from his graduation pictures also lost his life to gun violence. Sammy West III was found shot and fighting for his life on August 22nd of last year. It was around 12.30 a.m. when first responders arrived to the scene near 139th and Southeast Main. Before they could get Sammy to the hospital, he died at the scene. Sammy's death was devastating to his family. His father saying, we're going to miss our son. We're going to miss him so, so much. You took him, but you can't take the memories. Again, there is no information about suspects or even witnesses. When it comes to the murder of teenager Michaela Harris, the FBI has become involved, offering a reward of $25,000. On July 17, 2021, at 2 a.m., police arrived at Southwest 3rd and Harvey Milk. This time, it wasn't that they found a single victim. Instead, they found seven. While first responders tended to those injured, 18-year-old Michaela Harris was taken to the hospital where she was pronounced dead. The other six victims survived, but so far there have been no answers. It is believed by investigators that a car pulled up and shot at the group, perhaps with a gang-related target, leaving everyone else, including Michaela, as innocent bystanders caught in the crossfire. Detectives have shared that information, but also shared they felt others had been present and possibly saw, but ran away between the shots and police arriving. Desperate to solve the murder of this young girl, you are asked to call the police, submit a tip to Oregon Crime Stoppers, contact the FBI, or you can even go to an American embassy consulate. Her family and friends hosted a GoFundMe where they raised nearly $25,000 for her family. Because not every shooting is the same, the solution is not singular. For some, more police is the answer. In regards to the shootings, police union leader Daryl Turner has said, record number of homicides, gun homicides in the month of July, record number of shootings in the month of July, record number of shootings in the month of August. People say, well, no, disbanding the team is not a correlation, but it is a correlation. You take the roof off your house and it starts raining and it gets wet. Guess what? There's a correlation to that. You took your roof off, and when it rained, you got wet. But City Commissioner Joanne Hardesty disagrees, saying, Gun violence is a symptom of social ills, and the one thing that is clear is that police are not social workers. Policing will not replace the need for investments and resources for our community. But what it really comes down to is the people and those affected by the loss of life. Erica West, Sammy's mother, has said, Let's stop this. Don't let anybody else go through this. No other family needs to hurt like this. Please stop this violence. Please, please. That's all I can say. From August 2020 to August 2021, there were 60 homicides in Portland. 20 of them have had an arrest. Three have suspects. That has left 37, over half, unsolved. And as we've discussed in so many cases, a simple phone call, even of something someone might deem insignificant, can lead to an arrest. So if you think you may have seen anything regarding these or the many other cases, please submit a tip. It's better to have investigators check something out and have it lead to a dead end than to not report it and possibly miss an opportunity. This is a tangled, sensitive topic. Once you start touching on police, gun laws, and race, well, that's when I get angry emails and bad reviews. Haha. -ha. But what really happens is the names and faces of those lost to murder and violence are forgotten and people's own views and priorities become more important. Arguing about what's fair or free doesn't help bring justice to the families so desperately seeking it. Emily, your thoughts. I have so many thoughts. I bet you do. So, and this is going to be as non-political as possible. Same. Because I feel like we can all agree on these things. Yes. I do believe in police. We've said some negative things in the past or questioned things, but I do believe there's a reason to have police. But I also believe that things go much deeper and earlier on than the crime, right? Mm -hmm. And much of what we've seen in Portland in recent years is gang violence, which was eye-opening for me last year because I didn't even realize we had such a gang problem. But that's something that needs to be nipped in the bud much earlier on. Like, why are these kids getting drawn in? Because, you know, I guess not everybody knows this, but a lot of the gangs here are like 14-year-old children mm -hmm. 
very young people getting yeah. into these groups. So what can we do earlier on to stop that? Obviously, I'm no expert, but there are people out there that dedicate them, their lives to researching this and how we can, um, you know, fill the void for these kids. So that's one topic. <laughs> Absolutely. And, you know, and that that shouldn't be arguable. No. You like know, we, I we see problem children. Yeah. gang. I had students that, um, you know, when they were very we're talking sixth graders, seventh graders, they were getting arrested. They were coming to school with. Uh, the monitor ankle bracelets on, they were on probation. But if you stepped back and you go, well, what's going on at home? Well, you have a mom who maybe she wasn't given proper sex ed care or information growing up. Um, and then she, you know, has a couple kids and you look at the systemic racism of black men being arrested. So maybe there's not a male in the picture. So she's the sole provider. So she's working three jobs just to be able to care for these children. And, you know, we would check in with these kids and be like, hey, guys, how, you know, we had, they were two brothers and we would ask them about the night before. And it was, oh, I walked to 7 Eleven at like 10 o'clock and I grabbed some snacks for dinner and then I came home, and played video games. And that's not blaming the mom for not being there. I get why you're not there. You're trying to provide for them. But that is now they're on their own. And then if you're out and about, and yes, young kids are prey for gangs because then it's, you're looking for that and now you're connected to it at a young age. What my mind goes to is that saying it takes a village yeah. to raise a child and it really does. And what happens when that village are the people on the streets trying to lure your child into their gang? Yeah, it is. It is hard to be a single parent. It's hard to be a single parent coming out of your own childhood of poverty mm -hmm. and, and trying to climb your way out of or that. being young. Mm -hmm. There are so many things that contribute to that. And that and there are rich affluent children who get drawn to oh, gangs absolutely. as well but the primary the bulk of yeah. these kids are coming from lower socioeconomic groups yeah and so what can we do to help resolve that and to make sure all of these kids are seen and and taken care of so that i mean that and is I one think, small topic and i think people don't think about that to say um let's have a conversation about raising the minimum wage i don't think people see the correlation of like and that helps gun violence go down you know it's kind of it's um I obviously agree more so with Joanne Hardesty of just like all of this, you can trace it back. I, you know, I agree with her as well. To and you, to what's going on? Are you having a drug problem? Are you, um, yeah? Did you fall into a gang? Did you, uh, you know? Well, it's tied to more than that too. I took a class on how socioeconomic status can affect change your health and things oh, like absolutely. That. Um, so you'll see these groups of people affected by something just because of what they're eating which is caused by what they're getting paid plus you know? you're potentially coming from a background of trauma and mm -hmm. trauma affects you physically stress affects you physically including financial stress yeah it's it's all connected these shootings are not strictly people that are in gangs you know like i said it's people caught in crossfire it's rampant it's just happening everywhere and i say that because so often whether it's local news or national news, it's easy to dismiss someone if you throw up a mugshot of them when they were arrested maybe for drug charges or for gang charges. And they're in certain neighborhoods that are seen as being more those types of areas. And then it's like, oh, well, he's just a gangbanger. He's just a thug. He's just... So because people attach that language to it, then it's easier for people to not connect to it. I think I think that's part of sure, and I think the, the other, bigger picture. The other half of that is you hear shooting. A lot of people's minds go to that stereotype. Yeah, when it's not just people in gangs yeah. getting shot. And well, and it's also like we don't know who these shooters are. So number don't. one, you don't know if they're white, black, Asian. You have no idea who these people are, and the victims are predominantly black people. That doesn't equate, you know, being black and being shot doesn't mean you're in a gang. And I think absolutely not people. Yeah. And also being in a gang doesn't negate the value of your life. Agreed. I think people just go, oh, they were just and in a gang. See that you're from useless. You're hopeless. People who are able to get out of gangs. Mm -hmm. And they talk about reflecting on that. Why were you drawn to one? Well, I felt nothing. And there I was something. Yes. And there's a lot to that.
And you see that and you hear that, too, with um, white supremacist groups, how they say, I was looking for something. I didn't feel loved. I didn't feel cared for. So it's just lost people, you know. So a lot of this is prior to crime happening. And then my mind goes to, well, what can we do now? And that's when I think we get into the whole uh, accessibility conversation. And we, you said it in your intro, we're not here to say, take away guns. No. It's not about that. For me, it's about safe gun ownership, who can get access to them. I feel like we could be doing more. And I'm surprised, you know, we've seen all these school shootings over the years. And the one that really got me was Sandy Hook. Like, how could we have not made a change after that? Mm-hmm. I believe in training people properly how to use gun, not making it so easy to get one yeah. that has nothing to do with politics in my eyes mm-hmm. my family is a family of hunters i don't own a gun i don't want to own a gun just my preference i support them you know putting food on the table that way it's just not what i do right um so some i posted that video a couple of weeks ago about just being feeling unsafe in a store uh-huh. and half the comments were that's why you should get a gun and conceal and carry and i just we don't all feel like that i'm not saying you shouldn't get that right well but it's hard when you're a numbers person and you look at the numbers and go well actually when a gun is brought into a situation mm-hmm. the odds of violence goes so that's what i say so i'm so skyrocketing say i'm getting attacked and i have a gun i might feel safe in that moment okay i might feel a little bit safer if i know i can protect myself mm-hmm. that doesn't mean i feel safer long term because my chances for accidentally firing that firearm and right. killing someone i love go way up yeah. like way up yeah without having a gun in the house it's not going to happen yeah so you know while i support people's right to have that with the appropriate licensing i don't want that for myself it's just not what i need and i i guess what i struggle with um and i would love to hear from someone if you are uh pro-gun and um just have thoughts on it because i look at it and think well if they if someone came out and said we can make cars safer by adding X, Y, Z, why wouldn't you want that? So I struggle to understand how a gun owner feels. Um, I don't know what the I word is. I guess it depends on your stance, though. But when it's stance, like though. how she's talking about putting locks on so that kids don't accidentally kill themselves or a family member, you know, making it so that you can't buy unlimited guns like you can in Oregon. Uh, I think she said that it was only if you buy two in less than five days think, that anything even registers. And I think registers. some countries already implemented that and it does help. Yeah. So it's 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 standpoint. not a it's not a you shouldn't have. I mean, on a personal note, if I could wave a wand and, and all guns disappeared, I'd be pretty stoked about that. But I get that. Yeah. People have it for hunting. People are hobbyists. That's fine. And that is a freedom that we have, you know, that it's there. But yeah, I, I struggle to understand why those who who want it don't want more safety measures I, I think you're bucketing them in one group though so it's important to realize everybody's different right, right. Like they're pro-gun people who are pro-owning a gun like my father is a great example he right. loves his guns he also highly supports making it harder to get one making it harder to keep one and having it like a license where you have to re-register. Anyway. Yeah, you're right. So I guess what I don't understand is the people that push back on that then. I'll, I'll like, you're specify. My right. Not every gun owner, but the people that are like, no, we we don't want that thing that makes it safer for kids or we don't want that thing that makes I, yeah, that keeps it mean. away from murder. You want to know their point of view a little bit more yeah. other than, a, OK, you're stepping on my rights. Now that's wrong. Yeah. If someone's saying we have to get rid of ghost guns, the 3D printed guns, uh, because you can't trace them and, and you know, it, they just appear. Correct that's where I get confused where it's like, and I'm with you on that. that. And I, like I said, I am, I am totally okay with people having their guns when they are licensed appropriately. What I don't, I'm, what I'm not okay with is people buying automatic weapons online and not, and that not being traceable Yeah. or young children getting their hands on something without licensing. So anything we can do to mitigate that Mm -hmm. is good in my opinion, but I would never want to be like, okay, now we're going to take away all of your guns. Um, so I guess I see your point, though, because we have a hard time understanding why you wouldn't want the group to be safer. Right. But we've run into that with the pandemic itself. That's true. So there, yeah. it's just a, one of those walls, I guess, you hit where you can't see the other point of view sometimes. Yeah. And, you know, it is it is a hard one. Like uh, Penny said, the things that we can do that we do have control over are like contacting our legislators and 
if we see bills that need signatures that we agree with, we can sign them. And and unfortunately, that's kind of it, because I don't really know what the other answers are except for voting. And if people feel like it and they have a voice to be heard running for office and uh, finding ways locally, just working with your community, if you have uh, kids in your area that maybe are struggling because it's lower income, maybe you're volunteering once that's opening up, you know, once things are back to uh, being open like that. Because well, that's a, that brings up a really good point. With all these closures, yeah. maybe these kids don't have places to Oh, turn. absolutely. I mean, you and I have talked about it, too, of like the anger that so many of us have of just we're angry at the other side. It was really interesting. I read the other day that it, and I mentioned it earlier that like uh, studies show that each side thinks the other side is as extreme and as dangerous and as, right. uh, you know. And I mean, there's extremists in every group. It's right. important to realize that. Right. And, you know, for me, it's, it is hard to separate sometimes and it does make me angry and social media makes me angry and traffic makes me angry and not getting to live my life makes me angry. And so you have a lot of people. I mean, you look at uh, airline numbers of behavior on on flights. Yeah, it's gotten it's much like, worse. It used to be like 300 incidents every two years or something. And now it's been over a thousand in six months or something. So everyone's on edge. Yeah. And combine it with kids weren't able to be in school. Well, if I'm 13 and I hate school, true story, uh, <laughs> I was 13 and hated school. And your parent or parents aren't home and all you have to do is like log on to a computer and then you can go do whatever you want. That mm -hmm. That is more likely to lead to trouble. You, no matter who you are, where you live, what you do. You reminded doing. me I wanted to ask you something of the of the arrests in that were made mm -hmm. in the shootings. How does that break down to age and race? Was that something that you had eyes on? Oh, uh, it didn't mention that in the article, so I'm not I'm sure. I'm curious because we're talking a lot about right. gang members on the younger side. I Is that correct? Right. Is that correlating? Yeah, I didn't see. It was more the article was just making the point of like that they just can't close these cases, that they yeah. just don't have well, the info. Well, it's really hard when you're yeah. in a vehicle and it might be quiet outside and you shoot someone and get away and there's no cameras nearby. Yeah. How else? Yeah. Without an eyewitness. Yeah. That's very hard. And I think what really hits me, you know, is um, how easy it, it feels that people can decide the value of a life based on circumstances when it should be just as equally outraged that this 18-year-old girl was standing around with some friends downtown. I don't care what hour of the day it was. So I don't care. Are, and that's I don't care what race she was. I don't care if she knew someone in a gang, if she wasn't a gang, if she was a gang leader. I, it doesn't matter. This child was shot and killed. And it could the, have been anybody. The fight to bring a change to find these people is like, it just uh, feels disappointing, especially after Portland. You know, I wanted to do this story. I know it's it's different than our usual ones, but many people have emailed or messaged us and been like, what's going on in Portland? What is happening? And it's really, it goes to show the performative nature of what happened last year when you have all these thousands of white people marching in the street. And then we look at all of the deaths that are happening and I don't see the same energy or anger or passion. I don't see that, hey, okay, great. We we cut some of the police force and that's what we wanted. Now what? What what do we do and how do we solve these well, murders? You, if black lives matter, then dead black lives should matter too for being solved and brought to justice. And again, it's like my own naivety around I just assume people care. <laughs> you right. Know, despite color. And I think that's the nature of why we're interested in these topics. Yeah. But you brought up a good point where there's this feeling of distance from some of these things when it's not all over the news every day and you're not hearing it on your favorite podcasts and it's not talked about or you've never had anyone near you be shot. It's really easy to not care, to yeah. not pay attention because it is scary to think about. Mm -hmm. I know a lot of people have avoided downtown. And like you said, I've been downtown a few times and really it's not all that different. It's a little quieter. Yeah. Uh, it isn't this Mad Max, what right. you call it, hellscape. Yeah. That people, that's a really great example because when I read online of like, oh, I'm avoiding Portland, Portland's gone down. It's like, okay, it, it's a few neighborhoods here and there, but 
overall, there's not much difference, but it is, let's get introspective about that because I think you're right. It is easy to dismiss it if we're not actively reading about it or listening to it. And that's sad because how else are we going to get these people's names out there and get tips? Because I can't tell you, no name comes to my head of a shooting victim of recent years unless we've actively done a case on it. Right. I appreciate the conversation and um, I appreciate you guys for listening. And like I said, I would love to get messages or emails from people. With different points of view. Uh, Yes, please. You know, I, I really want to have the conversation because a million different type of people are involved. You know, there's <laughs> there's so many points of view mm-hmm. and opinions and political and everything just blended together. So there isn't just here's what we do. And so let's talk about it to figure it out. Agrees on wanting to have it become better, right? Yeah. Less murders, happier lives, I would hope. I so would hope. I'm I'm curious on people who feel their rights are infringed by some of these things. Yeah. You know, explaining their point of view. Yeah. So let's have these conversations. Let's vote with where, you know, with what we believe in and let's do what we can with our communities to try to make a difference to bring these shootings to a stop and to find the killers. Thank you for listening. <laughs> Hi, everyone. Alicia here with an update. Since recording this episode just two weeks ago, Portland shooting deaths have now reached 78. The weekend of October 24th saw 19 shootings, including that of a couple in an apartment building in Old Town. Michael Van Domlin has since been arrested for those killings. The most recent death is that of 20-year-old Dominic Luster, who was found deceased in his vehicle at Woodland Park neighborhood. And once again, there is no further information. As one man who was almost shot by stray gunfire while he was walking his dog was quoted as saying, he isn't living in Portland, he's surviving. Thank you all for listening, and we look forward to continuing to learn about what is causing the violence and how we can help keep guns safe for everyone in every community in every state. We need to talk about Alec Baldwin. Oh, boy. It's so sad. And I had flashbacks to The Crow. And it's like, are we going to hold these people accountable that are supposed to be in control of these cops? I mean, did you you know all about like the union and all of that situation? No. So the morning of the shooting, because it's right around the time. I don't think I don't think the strike actually happened with the film union people. But that morning on that set, everybody was like, it is dangerous. The props aren't managed right. You're working us too long. You're not providing lodging. There were two. Da, 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 da. There were two previous incidents. Yeah. Where a prop gun fired alive. Here's the thing on though, that production live who, rounds. Yeah. I get like hours are long and all that shit. I get right. that, but there's someone in charge of the props, right? Is that the person complaining or are people complaining it's, to them? I don't. I don't know in that stance. Like what happened if things weren't being provided for the prop person to use or something. So they all walked out, except for a few of the people, including the woman who got shot and the director. And they just brought in some schmuck to do props. And then they said, what was the word? Clean or clear? Cold gun. Cold, Cold gun. gun. Meaning it's not. Yeah. No live. And then he had because I was like, I can't figure out how you shoot someone. Like, was he waving it around? And he goes, well, maybe it was a direct camera shot. And he was supposed to fire something. And he. Yeah. Shot blank. Um, yeah. I just. I don't care how dumb someone is right how hard is it before you hand a weapon to an actor to open it and make sure there's nothing in it or the packaging on the blanks to be like this is a blank you know as an actor being handed that i would not be like i have to look and see not to totally blame him but yes it's another step it's not but he's fucked because he's a producer yeah, they should just abandon the film. Well, he's going to be sued by the family for wrongful death. He's going to be sued by who knows. He might face Maybe, charges yeah. because he's a producer. It all depends on who hired who, who checked it. It's a mess. I just feel like there are several steps that could happen by proactive people to ensure this never happens. Yeah. So why has this happened so many times? I Once it is seems, enough, you know? It seems unfathomable or how we haven't gotten to the point to say... um, we're using like high end cap guns and then we'll just add it digitally or something. Yeah. It's like 2021. Yep. 
Yeah. Like, I just feel really bad to have to live with that. And oh, I feel horrible for him. And I know he's been already in contact with the family. And I hope that it goes as smoothly as possible. I feel awful for him to stand there and have done that to someone that you cared about. Um, And and I went on his Instagram just to see if he had said anything or, you know, a statement had be released. And the comments were so horrendous because they're like, yeah, they're like, oh, look at the anti-Trumper, anti-gun guy being a murderer oh look you killed her you did well and a lot of the like, news outlets what? it was like blaming him and it's it's could have happened to anybody right like, and even if even if they all dropped the ball and who did whatever and yeah it's going to be years of lawsuits and ugliness it's not like that was the goal mm-mm. for anyone anyway like think next time guys when you have weapons hello everyone who touches it needs to open it yeah and I agree. They should. You shouldn't even use fake ones. It should. Yeah, just be and aren't digital. blanks like aren't blanks to the point? They like, can still hurt you. I think they right? can, but like, are they not marked? Josh, do you know anything about that? Are they like marked? They've got to be differently or something. We've got to look it up. I, they have to look different, otherwise that would be too confusing. Like they should be bright red or bright orange or something. Like I think that one of the differences might be that it, that it might have like. The shell, uh, the cartridge part, mm-hmm. might have a load of powder or whatever is in to, to make the effect, but no projectile in the front of oh. it to, to, so that nothing will come out. So it bangs but doesn't – though that can still kill you. Right. I, in one of the articles I read about this thing, they talked about an actor who jokingly on the set put a gun to his head and pulled the trigger and it killed him. And it was a blank. Oh. But the but the concu- there's a huge concussion that still happens. That right comes out of the out of the end and of the people gun. People are just uneducated. Like yeah. mm-hmm. they anybody even doing a movie with a gun, there should be some sort of gun class. Yeah, like that's just too dangerous. Like, yeah, it should be mandatory. Yeah. You can't yeah. have just the prop master, the gun master, the armor, be the or only whatever. one in charge mm-hmm. of that. Like yeah. they're sick. Someone steps in. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Especially in this situation where people leave the set. Yeah, they really should Who be like licensed firearm. Like, like the actors should be should be like legitimately trained. That's a I good agree. idea. I that'll probably change. Like, I bet that'll change. I bet that. And like be a requirement. checking, yeah. just like uh, anyone, my, like my story when you check out evidence. Yeah, but like on my story where it was like the first thing you do is you check to see if your gun's loaded. Where the guy was like, I just fired through the door. Yeah, I didn't really, think there's any. It really check should, it. <laughs> it really should be that when that actor checks it out, that's their gun. Yeah, that's now, whoever is holding it yeah. is in charge yeah. of it. But that would mean we'd have to have uh, like actual um, procedure documented on well, this I think how it works. What I struggle to comprehend is like, why was there a live round on a movie set? No, this is what I'm wondering. Did somebody do it on purpose? Did somebody who was pissed and wanted to strike have a little fun by slipping that in there? We don't know. Oh, like it was some sort of retaliation. Like they purposely were retaliating. That's the first thing that went in my mind. Oh, and I, I didn't. know oh, that just gave me full body goosies. I'm on a little, just on occasion, borderline conspiracy theorist sometimes, but this makes sense to me. If there was a budding walkout and somebody, somebody was could like, slip screw it, it in, no one would know. They're not writing their name down on who touched that last. They're going to need to fingerprint it. They're going to need to do an entire investigation on how I live ammunition of that. got into that gun. Well, I guess because it's like you don't want to think that anyone could do that. Well, To not only set someone up to be killed, but set someone up to kill it's someone. It's either that or they got the gun from some source that had it in there and no one ever checked yeah. it. But how, yeah, bad. how does it get there? I think someone That's like it the there. that Allman Brothers movie that I think of all the time. Um, yeah probably about seven, eight years ago, and they were filming on a train track and they were doing a dream sequence and they put a bed on a train track bridge. No one bothered to check the train schedule. So when the train came barreling down and everyone ran for their lives, this one girl, and same thing, not director of uh, cinematography, but, you know, just like a a secondary role like that. And she didn't make it off the tracks. And it's like, how are you not? I mean, they go to all these, these, Budge, high budgets yeah. will shut down entire highways to yeah. film a scene and they don't run into that. I guess if you're on a tight budget and you're having to work around real life, I it mean, could just happen, Google it. Get an intern who can, who can, yeah, go online and get the time. If you're the director. I just, it's, it's crazy yeah. to me that, that this isn't something we think about. But then again, you know, there no. are a lot of people involved, but I, I do tend to think somebody that's, did it on purpose. That's an interesting, I mean, that's, that is tiptoeing with conspiracy, yes. but. It it does also, but like, it's also Occam's razor. How yeah, many scenarios yeah. could have happened? To me, it's two. Yeah, 
I mean, that's one way to shut down a production. Maybe maybe someone did do that to be like a big F you to the production, thinking that the shot was going to be fired this or, direction or and just scare that someone. they would have found it and been like, who did this? Yeah. You know, it's attempted murder, though, if you did it. Yeah. You yeah. On purpose. He I don't think Alec will face charges. No, I mean, it, I, even I if, think, if manslaughter would be dismissed, I don't yeah. think it's his fault because I, they have. But I do think he'll be he and as a producer and the other producers they will be they financially will be, liable. Yeah. Civil lawsuit mm-hmm. will be. And they'll um, probably do it out of court. I don't. Oh, yeah. Because he has a relationship with the family. Yeah. I'm sure it will be settled and, you know, as it should be. Yeah. Uh, it's just really sad all around. And I can't help but think somebody is going, oh, fuck, what did I do? Mm-hmm. So obviously all of this talk about Alec Baldwin and Helena Hutchins, uh, who passed away. Obviously, I mean, this is something that just happened. Uh, Very little information. Yeah, is out. nothing's out yet. So this is us just talking about uh, the importance of gun safety and maybe some changes that Hollywood needs to look at doing and us just making up ideas of what could possibly be until we have. I like to shout my opinion further. on what could have happened. So when we find out, I could be like, I was right. <laughs> <laughs> and then if I was wrong, I go, I never said that. I said, allegedly. <laughs> I said, it's a hypothesis. I said, I heard from someone who hurts from someone. That wasn't no, me. I will own it. If, it's, if I'm wrong, let me be wrong. Let me be judging people. That's right. No, I just think it's interesting because um, it's really terrible that these things happen, which then lead to the conversations of how to avoid it in the future when we could have been having them. I mean, like it's you said, the crow, we could have been having this conversation since the mid 90s. Well, and if you think about it, it's important to talk about it because it's not just what we picture gun safety needing to be. Mm-hmm. It's it's leaked into diff- to Hollywood. Yeah. Into all these different jobs. Oh, no, so, you gave me head to two, head to two goose flesh. Head to two goose flesh You know, Love Spell, I loved Love Spell. I had the shampoo because I loved it so much. And then someone said, I just love how peachy it is. And I couldn't tell that it was peachy. It. And then after that, I was like, this is pure peach. And I cannot use this anymore. <laughs> it was like overwhelmingly peachy. Sat on his French, po- French. Ooh, I love a French porch. <laughs> Is that real? Is that like what they have in Baton Rouge or uh, New Orleans? Is that a I mean, French it's porch? Gotta be right, like an enclosed <laughs> fancy one with the French carvings. <laughs> That's fancy. That's how you know. <laughs> when you open the door, it goes. <laughs> <laughs> the doors don't creak; they do that. <laughs> That's when you know it's a real French porch. Oh, sorry, it's my French porch. <laughs> so fancy, it doesn't know how to squeak. <laughs> like where people getting them help and they brought her to the hospital no i just wrote it wrong i just wrote oh. like a fucking idiot oh that that explains it yeah <laughs> like what, what we can do is con- oh, sorry me. <laughs> <laughs> it was so sultry josh now i know the song lyrics wake me up inside i just had that happen <laughs> now i get it hello is this evanescence <laughs> i get it now Wake me up. Murder in the Rain is produced and edited by Josh McCullough. Written and hosted by Emily Rowney and Alicia Holland. Artwork by Jamie Costa. Music by Kai Pfeiffer at kyfifer.com. Check out our website, murderintherain.com, for additional information on all cases, a fun interactive map, and be sure to subscribe so you can receive our newsletter. Check out the Mad Props page for coupon codes from some of our sponsors. We love your reviews and seeing them on all streaming platforms, especially iTunes. And check us out on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. And suck my balls. (laughs) Please put that in. (laughs) 